It's San Diego Design Week, and welcome to this very special podcast, five-part mini-series called Designing the Fan Experience. I am one half of the Zero Chance podcast, Rick Romero. And my name is Jordan Stark of the brand design studio, Product Etc. Joining us will be marketing executives from San Diego's top professional teams, the Padres, Legion, Loyal, Seals, and the Sockers. And if you're listening to this episode, we have four other episodes out there available wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. In this episode, we speak with Craig Elston of the San Diego Sockers. Where we discuss how the indoor-based soccers are pivoting in the midst of a pandemic to not only stay in existence, but to come back stronger as a club and a sport. Joining us in this episode is the one and only Mr. Craig Elston, Chief Marketing Officer of the San Diego Soccers. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So uh, obviously, I've known you for quite some time, and I've been going to soccer's games since I was a little kid. But for those listeners out there who don't know who you are or what you do or who the legendary San Diego Soccers are, can you fill them in on it? Well, yeah, there's there's a lot there. Let's go with the soccer's, right? So uh, San Diego has had uh, an off and on again relationship with the sport of soccer that dates back to the late 70s when the San Diego soccer's began as an outdoor outfit uh, playing in the North American Soccer League, the NASL. And that team attracted some pretty high level outdoor players, including a Polish World Cup star by the name of Kaz Dana uh, and a very famous uh, refugee named uh, Julie V uh, from Hungary. So uh, you, you had some great outdoor talent for kind of a middling outdoor team overall, but it was pretty popular in San Diego. But at the same time, the outdoor leagues, and there was more than one uh, in uh, the United States were using indoor soccer uh, as a place where they could build fitness. And one league, the major indoor soccer league, was really succeeding in some markets like New York uh, and getting big crowds and getting attention. So by 1981, uh, the soccer's decided they would create an indoor team as well as outdoor. And the first year they played, they were terrible. They were last in the league. And the second year they played, they won the championship. And that was the first of five in a row uh, wow. for the soccers. And eventually 10 out of 11 years cleaning through the entire 1980s and going to 1992, uh, 11 seasons of pro indoor soccer and 10 championships for the San Diego soccers. In that time, they bounced from the NASL to the MISL, back to the NASL, back to the MISL, which uh, then became the CISL. And uh, wow. there was a lot of different permutations along the way. Uh, but in the 1980s, it was a sport that had national television contracts, had players like I'm mentioning of, of a World Cup level. Uh, Precky, another example of, of a guy who went on to, to play World Cup soccer. Uh, Steve Jungle was a, a superstar. They, they had superstar level players uh, combined with uh, 
a sport that was unfamiliar and yet at a time where TV was just evolving covering sports, it was television attractive. You know, it was easy to cover. It fit in the hockey rink. It was easy to follow. There were a lot of goals. So it, it got that wide world of sports type exposure and then a contract with USA Network and ESPN eventually down the line uh, and, and so on and so forth. So the Soccers had this incredible, rich history at a time when this sport enjoyed a, a, a unique period of popularity uh, in the United States. Uh, and then the sport collapsed on itself. Players got paid too much. Interest waned just enough. Uh, the right type of ownership left and the wrong type of ownership got involved. And this, the sport tried to go back outdoors also quite famously uh, in the last two years and it helped collapse the league. Uh, and so indoor soccer sputtered along for, I, I guess it was what, almost two decades, wasn't it? With a couple of starts here and there until in 2009, my employer, Phil Salvaggio, brought back the soccers in its third true iteration. Uh, and it's been since 2009 to now 2020 going strong, uh, having won four championships on, on our side uh, of the fence as well. Uh, so a lot of excitement, a lot of success in a sport that is niche, but actually has a rich American history. Yeah. Like if you guys haven't been to an indoor soccer game, it's, it's just so fast, so entertaining. I, I love like the, the music being played while they're out there playing gets you really pumped up and uh, it's a, it's a fun experience. So if you haven't been to a soccer indoor soccer game, I highly suggest it. Once we're allowed to do anything indoors again, <laughs> allow me to recommend for you indoor yeah, soccer. Yeah. Little little asterisk there. <laughs> so hey, so like since we're talking about it, let's get the elephant out of the or elephant in the room out of the way right off the bat. Um, obviously, um, there is a pandemic going on, and that has changed absolutely everything, and that includes professional sports. How has this affected how the soccer's run as an organization at this point? Well. Obviously, there are sports that have big TV contracts, and then there are sports that we could call gate sports, sports that require the money from admission to do anything in terms of, of making the dollars make any sense. And certainly, uh, you can put Major Arena Soccer League, just like I'd say National Lacrosse League, American Hockey League, uh, two other leagues I think you'll probably talk to along the way that may not be willing to talk as frankly about that, but it's going to be the case for all of them as well. They, they can't operate. They, they might make a smattering of money here or there on a couple of pay-per-views, but nothing that would add up to the cost of their payroll, never mind the cost of their rent, never mind the cost of their staff. So for arena soccer to come back, we need for everyone to be okay to come inside again. And that's not going to be right away. You know, we know that. And there's going to be also some states where it might be okay and some states where it might not be okay. And, you know, the way that we've had the patchwork response means that there are some owners that might say, hey, let's just go. Let's start in January. Let's start. And there are, and then we're out here going, I know it's going to be minimum until March before the arenas will even release a date you know, or even consider booking a date. So uh, what, what are we supposed to do? Spend two months on the road, you know, and how is that healthy or safe? 
So you, you, you know, the only thing small sports like us can probably do is a bubble tournament because that's going to be a loss, but it's going to be a controlled loss. And maybe you could do a little pay-per-view around that and generate a little bit of money, uh, you know, Twitch stream it and get tips. Who knows? You know, like there'd be ways to generate at least a little money off of that. But uh, uh, short of that, what we have to do is stay relevant, stay existent and, and stay in people's minds. And so really that's been my job is to convert our social media channels into retro channels and play the hits and remind people of the greatness of it and connect it to the, you know, the past to the current day. And at the same time, you know, keep that nostalgia alive and hope that that nostalgia, memory, excitement, can help propel us through until we get to the other side of this, whenever that is. Uh, do, do you think that there's any opportunity to, to take the sport outside, in outside arena setting? You know, it's not impossible, but then you say, well, what, what does that look like? You know, is, yeah. that us, is that us setting up a field at a high school stadium um, and, and playing that way? Uh, does that keep the brand of the of the league proper? And then, if, if you're doing that, there's still a cost attendant. You'd have to be assembling something, putting it together. And you, and, yeah. And for how many fans for that? You know, exactly. at some at some point, you know, you want to do this right. You don't want to put out a weak team that you didn't pay for. You you don't want to short shrift on our end on the business end. So, you know, we need to we need to get to the point where things are okay. I mean, we could personally survive if you said play to 30% capacity because the sports arena seats like almost 13,000. So if you utilize the upper deck, you could theoretically do that. But now you also are telling our season ticket holders who paid and have been loyal to get those lower bowl seats. You've got to move. You've got to go to the upper deck because of COVID. Right. Um, you know, so there is a there's an issue to that as well. There's an issue to everything, but yeah. you know, the bottom the bottom line is the the numbers don't add up, especially where we play, uh, for anything to happen until there's probably not just a vaccine, but coverage. You know, the coverage that can be considered near universal. Wow, uh, do you, do you anticipate any long term changes? as a result of the pandemic. So, you know, you brought up fan experience and and what you're doing on the social media side, but you marketing, maybe how game day experience might change. Have you yeah. guys had these conversations? Absolutely, Jordan. And uh, in fact, that's kind of, uh, first I was working on our, pro our projects for this coming season. And now I've kind of put those on the back shelf understanding yeah. that if and when we could get back to that. Part of what we're doing right now, in addition to just playing some old clips, is doing research straight up, like trying to figure out what's the, what's the absolute best iteration of this. What, what, are the, what are the little zigs and zags that happened over the years? What's the exact best thing that we can take from each generation? And I, I, absolutely, we're working on the long-term plans on how can we come back with a more dynamic game day experience. Rick, you brought up the music. And I think the I think it's very interesting um, because in the '80s they played '80s music, mm -hmm. and then indoor soccer came back decade after decade. And every owner was like, "You know what you do? You play '80s music." 
and, and people would be playing Footloose and and you know whatnot. And, Stray Cats and right, <laughs> yeah, you know Axel F. You know, and it's like it's a little <laughs> bit played. You know, and and that's something I've talked about is like the reason that was hot is because they were playing the music of of right now. They yeah, were, and that was what was not happening anywhere else was people were playing current music i mean i would love to see current music if music is being used at all i'd like to see current music i also love the sound of supporters and i think supporters singing is the best music of all and that's yeah. why we've we've tried to develop supporter culture we're trying to connect to that supporter cool. culture and have been and that's an ongoing project to connect that supporter culture from outdoors into indoors there's a lot of conversion that has to go on there's a lot of outdoor fans and that's the weird thing like Guy like you, Rick, you grew up an indoor fan that might have mm -hmm. discovered outdoor through the indoor game. Whereas nowadays, there's people who grew up on either MLS or watching Premier League. Yeah, that right. they never they were never exposed to a, as kids or adults. Never had the chance to watch that, but they could watch indoor soccer. And and so that's the difference is now trying to convince an outdoor person come indoors. The game is great and the athletes are terrific. And and so. That it, it's weird, but that's a lot, a big part of what's been my effort since I started with soccer is trying to connect to our outdoor culture, connect to our outdoor soccer community, bring them inside, entice them to come inside and show them. And, and Landon Donovan was a big part of that. Show mm -hmm. them that there is that translation and transition that you could enjoy. Yeah, I, that's that's a, in my opinion, that's a fantastic uh, mindset because you could only go back to the nostalgia of the, you know, the eighties so much before those people finally go, okay, I've had enough of my, enough fill of this now. And I'm ready to like move on those new fans who were soccer. Like now is like one of the most, you know, popular sports in the entire, it is the most popular sport in the entire world. So it's like, if you're getting, you know, those premier league fans and those outdoor soccer fans. Uh, I mean, that's, that's huge. And it's, it's part of our challenge as well. Yeah. Really. You know, because I can tell you from experience, there are a number of people who are San Diego sports fans that absolutely love soccer and die to support a local side. Mm -hmm. And then you say, you open your arms and you say, come here, Jordan, come here. Come to the soccer. Yeah. The soccer's are here for you. This is a side that's international, that's diverse, that's talented, that's winning, that's pedigreed, that has a championship or bust mentality year after year after year. That's got to be infectious. You know, I mean, you've got Liverpool on. They had to go a century. You know, if someone's a, a Tottenham fan, they're always rooting for fifth place. You know, like <laughs> th there's, you know, there's a lot of, soccer fans that accept mediocrity and like as as their their weight in life like their padre fans and the soccers are a chance to try for exceptionality you know and for for you know shooting for the top of the soccer's previous season we were 15 and 6 it was like oh my god what a terrible right. year no we thought it was horrible wow. six That's losses funny. the year before that we went 23 and 1 wow you know? so <laughs> you know it, it's there's a level of a standard of play that you want to not just, and that's what the soccer's always brought in the old days too, was not just be good, but be entertaining, be diverse, be exciting, 
be dynamic, be forward, you know, be a, a club that's always forward, that's always attacking, uh, scoring goals, you know, and, and that's sell, you know, and then people go, yeah, but it's not the Premier League, you know, it's not, it's, it's just, it's not the Premier League. And I just, I want the Premier League to say, well, okay, yeah, but, you know, even if you're a San Diego loyal fan, like, I got to be honest, a lot of the players out there could be players in our league. And a lot of players in our league could be players in, in USL championship. And, and in fact, a lot of MASL players play in USL championship in the off season, you know, so, and, and good players in USL championship. So that it shows you there is that transmittability. I think it's just a matter of having an entire league on the same marketing page, trying to bring those people indoors really, and then having a real sharp product for them. We do a good job here in San Diego. It's a little different market to market, and I'd like to see that more universal. That's one thing I always wish for. So so you would maybe even say that because of the pandemic, you've been able to take a step back and reevaluate, you know, long-term strategy as far as engagement and how the sport is conducting itself as far as the, the fan experience. 100%. I mean, uh, I think what we get to really step back and reflect on our, our business practices, uh, league side things, like what, what are the best exact rules? You know, uh, yeah, we can't replicate the 80s in terms of style, but what about style of play? What, what were the rules that were there that have been changed over the years? Are there some things we'd like to go back to? Are there good reasons why we are where we are? Let's interrogate that stuff. Let's, no question is, is a bad question right now, right? Like, ask all the questions. Why do yeah. we use four personal fouls a half instead of 16 fouls? Why is the crease the, the shape it is? Should it look more like an outdoor box or is it good the way it is and why? You know, uh, all those. And where are we getting our talent? You know, back in the 80s, Eastern Europe drove a lot of the talent of indoor soccer. Is there an untapped market there now that you could go back to, that you could find not quarter million dollar players, but, you know, $60,000 players that might bring the excitement of a Julie V or a Bronco Segoda, uh, you know, and, and Rick, you could probably rattle off, you know, some of the rest of the list that I would go down of those, those type of guys from that part of the world and Zoltan Toth and, 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 and on down the list. Um, Steve Jungle, of course. Um, you know, so th those are bigger things to look at. The one bummer I have, Jordan, is that we have been on a path in terms of our direction. And part of it, a big, huge part of it is community. Huge part of what we want to do with soccer is, is to connect, again, to that soccer community, but to the community at large, to the schools, to the children. Uh, to go everywhere. And a particular push that I've had is to, to engage with the Latinx community of San Diego and, and get to that soccer fervor in the South Bay. And we've got a lot of Mexican players on our team, Mexican national nationals, you know, on our team. Connect that bilinguality, you know, uh, get that going and, we're like, we've been taking those steps and taking off. And then the pandemic really puts a break on that because we just can't be in the community and mm -hmm. not being in the community is a crusher for our game plan. Cause our game plan can't be big TV buys anymore. It, it can't be signing a radio contract or bribing the, the 
the UT editor, like some teams have done and do. Uh, you know, it's we've got to go grassroots. We've got to build and let the roots grow. And we've been building it. And then you lose your water and, and sunlight, which is our players and our ability to interact. Craig, uh, so like what what role would you say art and design play in in the soccer and the soccers? Well, when you've got a legacy brand like San Diego Soccers, you know that a lot of the people who are watching you have seen all the, the different versions of yourself, right? You are trying to bring in that new audience all the time, but there's still that historical awareness. So it's mm -hmm. definitely something that is a challenge. Um, this third version of the San Diego Soccers went away from the original, what we call kicking K logo. Uh, the soccers in block script where the K is kicking the ball that is going through the logo. Um, and, you know, and, the, and the K's leg is extended a little bit, so to speak. Uh, and after they came back with kind of a hybrid version of that logo, but then went to what we have now, which is the crest uh, in 2010, 2010, 11. And uh, since then it started with 13 stars and they added 14 stars for 14 championships. Going to the crest was a big decision in the early 2010s. Uh, and I think it's played well. I like having a crest over just having the centered logo uh, on the jersey. I do think when we talk about outdoor fans, indoor fans, outdoor fans respect a crest, understand a crest, usually understand what stars mean involving a crest and how that is important. Uh, so I think all of those things appeal. I don't think the soccer's will go away from the crest. However, we do find a lot of success, again, touching into those retros. So... Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things, again, in the two years since I've been back was having a, a real retro night, bringing back authentic jerseys from the day that people knew, recognized and wanted, because that gave us a chance not only to have a nice crowd and to have some great visuals, but also to have a very nice day at the merchandise stand and, and you know, make some money uh, off of those jerseys because we got them for the players. but We also got them for the stand for the merch stand every time. And so we did blue late 80s retro then we did white late 80s retro and the next season we're back we're going to go to the early 80s and do which you might remember break the soccer's diagonal yeah uh, script uh yeah the the blue and with, yellow with the, with the number up here where the crest yep. would be yeah uh, awesome and, you can go uh, long sleeve <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah well if you want the long sleeve yeah absolutely and nice. uh you know go back to those Casdana, julie v gene yeah. Willard, classic jerseys and i mean you know those are going to be a big big sell uh we, we just put out jerseys on on our uh merch store and i I've, every time we talk about it in every meeting i'm like and the other thing you can do is do every retired number as a jersey because they're gonna sell you know they're gonna sell we're we're a team like the raiders you know the, in, in that aspect like you've built up enough that that can never completely leave but what i do like is that we always try again mix the nostalgia of the past with the present day, make it current, make it now, respect the time we're in, not the time we were from. So it's yeah. also, it's, it, it's a little bit of legacy um, or a lot of legacy, but that also plays a, plays a business case in the running of a professional sporting organization. Absolutely. I mean, also, Hey, in our standards, right? So 
you know, the Sockers don't look to be a team in the major arena soccer league. We look to be the premier team in the major arena soccer league. And that means best record on the field, but that also means best community, best social media, best broadcast, you know, best when we go out on the road, you know, show up the best on the road, you know, every aspect of being a professional team, we want to try and lead the way. And if we're not leading the way, we better learn what we're doing wrong and get there, you know, uh, so that we can lead the way. And that's what I love about Phil Salvaggio, our general manager, Sean Bowers, uh, Cheeky Luna, you know, our leadership staff is that it's not about be here. It's about be the best. And, and 23 and one was a failure season because we lost in overtime the round before the final. So, you know, failure, championship or bust. It's hard, but it's fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So the, the art in a way is helping to further communicate those standards and of quality and, and hence the, the crest with all the championships, et cetera. You know, one of the things I really love, and, you know, you guys can obviously get your own. I'm not going to just, but uh, you, you do have the diagonal that, that I, I do it backwards. Sorry, because I'm on Zoom. Uh, you do have the diagonal of the Sockers, which reminds you of their original jersey. You do have the, the nightline of San Diego's downtown. You've got the 78, right, to, to recognize the year that we came into existence. And then it began again when we brought the crest in with 12 stars and then we added two more and we got up to 14 and sure thought we were going to add a 15th up here uh, a couple of different times since. But uh, so with that, I think cool. I, I love that the crest's art reflects both where we were and where we're going. That's awesome. Um, the uniforms, the pageantry, all the meticulously planned game day sights and sounds. How does that relate to a player's experience as opposed to the fans. Why does that matter to the players or does it? It absolutely does. And I can say that as a guy who's been around this sport since 2009, it's a completely different game with a big crowd, you know, and it brings out so much more in the players and to actually hear that cheering and have it not just be their family and their own expectations that they're facing and knowing that there's a, an audience of, you know, thousands watching as opposed to having those thousands right there uh, in, in the stands with them. It changes things. Doing things the right way changes things. You know, some of the ways we've beaten teams over the leagues, over the years in our league is by traveling better. You know, it's by leaving the day before a game instead of leaving, leaving the day of a game because the other guys wanted to save a day's hotel expense. Wow. You know, and, and having those fresher legs as opposed to flying or driving all day to get to a location to play. You know, th those little things are class differentiators where the soccers want to make a difference all the time for their players. And then, you know, even if it's 3000 or 4,000 fans in the stands, instead of eight and 10,000, it's still a lower bowl that's packed and excited and energy and atmosphere that makes you feel more relevant in that moment. Every athlete has an ego. Every athlete wants to hear a cheer. So uh, it, 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 it makes a big deal. If you have a good game day experience, I, I think you have a better game. Awesome. Besides the entertainment value, um, and what role and what role and value do you think sport 
organizations and institutions bring to communities and cities? Well, that's a that's a really interesting question. And it's what, from our perspective at San Diego Soccer, it's what you make of it, right? So, you know, you can be a team that's just there for the entertainment of the fans, or you can make a difference in your community. You know, a, you can be a team that's just trying to win games, or you can be trying to connect to kids, bring kids to your game, you know, uh, fund, uh, you know, youths, you know, going out and handing out the tickets, getting kids from lower disadvantaged neighborhoods exposed to your product, offering clinics at their schools just to get people running and enjoying and seeing the positivity and, and sharing those positive messages, you know, uh, connecting, as I mentioned, with with our, our Latinx community and showing that there's a, a togetherness at a time when there is a lot of strife. Uh, these are ways to me in which you can impact your community above and beyond what you do on the field. And that's what we aspire to really before the championship. And yet we also aspire to the championship. So Craig, um, what do you think the future holds for uh, the soccers? Well, uh, I think without question, this is, uh, as Confucius said, an interesting time that we are living in. Uh, and had we not already been underway on an arena project in Oceanside, I would say it would be a time of deep uncertainty. You know, I don't think uh, there's any way either that a schedule will fit or that the rent will make sense for the soccer's to play at Pachanga Arena in front of no fans. Like, it's just not going to work. Um, so even at a discount, it just doesn't work. So that's going to be okay in a weird way if, if things are delayed. You know, we can find an alternate place to play if we have to, but our owner, Phil Salvaggio, has been working uh, diligently on a project in Oceanside in the El Corazon area. Uh, and we are hopeful that we'll be having that, you know, big announcement and the, the shovel ceremony, the groundbreaking ceremony before the end of the year, you know, and, and as you know, it's super easy to build things in San Diego. So uh, I'm sure that'll get done exactly on time. But yeah, you know, of course. It, it, you know, this wasn't the first time that we've said it's going to be on this date either. So it's not as a matter of the project's failing. Phil is self funding a ton of this. We're not asking the city of Oceanside for money. Uh, this isn't a public private partnership situation. And, you know, Phil's made a lot of money in his business world life to put to this project. So uh, it's a project that's very important to him. And so it's very important to all of us that are working on it as well. And, uh, you know, knock wood, maybe in two years when we're out of this on the other end and hopefully out of a recession situation as well, we've got a pretty new building to, to get a lot of people excited about in North County, San Diego. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Craig. Uh, if you want, uh, tell everyone where to find you on social media or the San Diego Soccers. Follow the San Diego Soccers at San Diego Soccers on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find us at that handle. And that is, again, Soccers, S-O-C-K-E-R-S. For all the C-K. folks. Yeah, the kicking K. Don't forget the kicking K. Yes. Uh, and uh, that way you know how to spell it right. Uh, but uh, again, 
Uh, as mentioned, we've kind of turned our, our Instagram and Twitter into a retro channel of late. And it's actually, I, I've enjoyed fun. it. Yeah. It's gotten a lot of good reviews. So I'm like, you know what? That's why after a week <laughs> when I did one team for a week and then I had like 10 games of Baltimore, I could pick from, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be in this pool for a while. I'm going <laughs> to do a few, few laps. How many Baltimore games can I do before I run out and go to the next team? So That's we're awesome. all, we're almost out. We're moving to Dallas next. Uh, but, but, it's gonna be uh, some good ones there. Oh my yeah. god! Right, some showdowns with tattoo. I cannot yep. wait, dude. Um, I remember tattoo. That's hilarious. I was wondering <laughs> who that guy was earlier, and I was like, "What was the guy on Dallas that I remember that was like this big, like, you know, just enigma? He was just like uh, this personality, absolutely." Uh, too. And, and yeah. uh, Tattoo is a, is a head coach in our league right now. But uh, but as a player, he was one of oh, a kind so as, a, funny. as a pest. You know, as I'm a, actually a, surprised he's still not yeah. playing. He's like a, right? He was like a villain. <laughs> oh, absolute villain. But he was great at it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so follow us at San Diego Soccer. And then if, if you want to uh, read – occasionally funny tweets about the Padres generally uh, and, and some movie and TV recommendations at 619 sports is my personal uh, handle at 619 sports. Awesome. awesome. Thanks Craig for joining us. You Thank got you it. Greg. My pleasure guys. If you like this episode, we had the opportunity to chat with other marketing executives from your favorite San Diego sports teams. And you can find those episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.